Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, episode 18, Therapy for Humans. So I missed a week there. I appreciate those of you who got in touch to ask where the fuck my podcast was. Nice to be missed. I was in Telluride for a week, marrying my brother off, catching up with my parents. It was a good time. All in all, success. So let me jump right into an email here. They said, Rowan, I'm having a hard time. Let's talk about married sex after decades. I genuinely like and love my partner. Over the past few years, we have both been under a tremendous amount of stress with illness and one thing after another. We haven't done it in a really long time, and I think the longer time goes by, it's just more difficult. I'm curious about norms. It's the elephant in the room, and we're not discussing it. Maybe the answer is a Nike slogan? I don't know. Okay, well, thanks for your email. You know, I had a sociology professor back in college, and she likened married sex to McDonald's food. She said, you know, maybe it's not the most exciting meal you've ever had, but it's safe and it's consistent and it's available to you on a regular basis. I don't know if this applies in any way here, but it came to mind. And that professor had never been married, so there's that. Anyway, first things first. There are a lot of sexless marriages out there. Some of them work, some of them don't. Lots of things can get in the way of a fulfilling sex life, especially over the span of decades, as the emailer indicates. Everything from illness, sexual dysfunction, abuse, history, trauma, injury, grief, depression, surgery. There's a million reasons why a couple might just stop having sex. And once sex is absent for a period of time, it can be difficult to get back into it. Personally, I believe strongly that we are sexual beings and that sex is an important part of life. I also think it's an important part of a strong marriage. You say in your email that it's the elephant in the room. This is actually the part that I think is probably the most problematic. If you're not talking about it, if it feels like this thing that you're both kind of shying away from and don't want to kind of bring up to the other one, then that's exactly why it needs to be addressed. Anything that you both hold awareness of that is not being discussed is a potential problem. So you ask about norms. The short answer is there's not a norm. I get asked this all the time. How many times a week? How many times a month? What's normal? Blah, blah, blah. The answer is whatever works for both of you is what you should be doing. Neither partner in a relationship should ever feel obligated to have sex just to satisfy their partner. As I said before, we're born with our hands able to reach our genitals for a reason. And if for some reason yours don't, then get a tool. And even if they do, get a tool or a toy. Sidle up to your washing machine on spin cycle. Grab your electric toothbrush. Take care of your own needs if your partner isn't feeling it when you are. But if this becomes your only outlet, then you need to look at your relationship and have those conversations that can be awkward and weird, but worth it. You both need to know where the other one is at with this. And the only way to know is to talk about it. A long period of abstinence can make it hard to know how to start up again. All the more reason to talk to your partner. You mentioned the Nike slogan, just do it. You know, sometimes that is a pretty good solution. Sometimes you just do have to kind of set it on the calendar and kind of make yourselves get down into it, but you still need to talk about it. And so talk about it. And then after that's done, get some toys, go out for dinner, ingest some weed, go dancing, find some porn you both like. Make time for this to happen, whatever that looks like for you. 
Humans need this kind of a connection. It's important. Many times a couples therapist can help you both work through this as well. There are a ton of books out there about rekindling a floundering sex life. Find one you both connect to, but don't give up. Don't assume that you can't bring sex back into your marriage. Sooner or later, this will bite you in the ass and not in a good way. I wish you luck with that. So in other news, I got a new office chair this week, <laughs> which is a big deal because I spent a lot of time sitting in my office. So my old one, Old Blue, as I refer to it, was this massive, intensely ugly, incredibly comfy old upholstered thing with this electric assist for folks who have a hard time getting up and down. Um, I never used that feature. Thankfully, I'm still able to get myself up and down multiple times a day. Uh, but my business partner and I have been sharing space with the Rainbow Youth Center, which is a queer space for, uh, well, it is a queer space, but it's a safe space for queer kids. Um, it's also a queer space for safe kids, I guess, but, or unsafe kids as the case may be. Anyway, amazing organization. I'm a co-founder and I was the co-director for three years and we've been sharing space in the office with them and they finally got their own space. And it's just awesome that that happened. And they're in uh, the commons building now, if you're looking for it, that's where you can find it. But old blue went with them. That had been a donation years ago that ended up in my office. And um, I really, the thing was so fucking heavy. I just didn't want to move it myself. And so I had them move it when they were moving everything else. And I bought myself a new chair anyway so this thing came like flat pack to the house i put it together on friday night i stuck it in the middle of the living room until we could deliver it to the office on sunday so over the course of the weekend i found myself sitting on my couch staring at this new chair having the kind of deep thoughts one has after a little weed and a little whiskey and you know when i was in grad school i was doing my internship up at uh, the fort lewis college counseling center we talked a lot about taking your seat and finding your seat and basically just owning your position, finding your confidence in sitting with someone. It can be pretty uncomfortable coming to see a therapist for the first time. It's also really fucking uncomfortable being a therapist for the first time. Most of us go into this field because we want to help, and often we've been helped by others, and we can become inspired by that. But whatever led us to that point, at some point we find ourselves alone in the room for the first time with someone who is struggling with something and it's scary because we don't want to fuck it up. And it's scary because we care how this goes. And I suppose if we didn't care how it went, it would be less scary. But in general, I like to think that therapists truly want the best for our clients. Anyway, so I'm staring at this new chair and I'm thinking about the hundreds of people that I've sat with over the years and their stories and their struggles and their triumphs, their fears. And I'm just so grateful to have been present for that. And I've said before about how much of an honor it is to hear my clients' stories. Sometimes I'm the only human in the world who has ever heard what they are saying. It's taken them years to get up the courage to go and see a therapist and then that miracle happens of them feeling safe enough to put the thing out there that they swore they would never share. Many times I don't think they actually think that they will tell the tale until they're on the other side of it. Often there's this silence for a moment after a big disclosure. Sometimes they shock themselves, I think, that they actually said it out loud. My job in those moments is to just sit, to watch, to see how they're reacting to betraying the promise that they made to themselves to never speak of this thing. It's about as close to a sacred moment as I ever get, and it humbles me every time. And at that point, 
at least the way I work, the key is to not jump in there and do anything. It's about making sure that they feel safe with what they just put out there. Making sure that they don't leave feeling awkward or overexposed, that they don't regret that disclosure. The other crucial thing is to make sure that they know that this information didn't shock me or disgust me. It didn't lower them in any way in my eyes. So often we keep secrets that we have shame around and we convince ourselves that if anyone finds out about it, that they would not want anything to do with us. When we share something like that and the person that receives that information continues to look at us with respect and compassion, not pity or horror like we fear, there can be a profound shift. And the tale we told ourselves about why we need to keep the secret finally gets proved wrong. And like all good therapeutic growth, it's that moment when you realize that you're wrong about what you thought was going to happen, that the real healing can begin. And it's not the end, but the beginning. Anyway, so I digress a bit, as I do. Back to the chair. So I found myself thinking about that old chair and all of that, all of everything that that old chair held and all of the stuff that the new one will hold. And I was just grateful that I found myself inspired and excited by the prospect of sitting my bony ass down in this new seat for years to come. And I wasn't feeling burned out and I wasn't feeling defeated or filled with trepidation. One of my favorite things about this work is that you never, ever know what's going to walk in the door. Even with clients that I've worked with for years, you just never know from week to week what may have transpired in their lives that they need to work with. So I'm glad I found my seat and I hope to keep finding it for a very long time. And you know what? That's kind of it for this week. You guys waited three weeks for 10 minutes of whatever it is that I just spewed out there. So I hope that you found it useful or inspiring or entertaining in some way. And if you would like to get your stuff on the podcast, please get in touch with me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. You can email me there. You can call the podcast line, which is a voicemail only line at one eight four four durango That's one 387 2646 if you want to come to the office and see me live and in person for therapy and check out my new chair, <laughs> you can call me at 903-3893, or you can get in touch with me through durangopsychotherapy.com and email me at rowan at durangopsychotherapy.com. So until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. 